the pages don't judge you, right? So the only judgment you're bringing into your journaling practice is your own. There's a lot of learning in, in what kind of judgment you're bringing into your own self-expression that no one's going to see. Hi there, I'm Kelly Tennant. This is Ceremony Wellness, where we integrate modern healing and ancient wisdom. After spending 13 years in a chronic health battle, I've made it my life's mission to support you on your healing journey. Each week, I gather with the leading voices in health, wellness, and spiritual development for rich conversations to help you heal deeply and create the life you've been longing for. My guests and I educate you on the latest healing remedies and alternatives to the traditional path. I've personally curated this space to elevate your mind, body, and spirit. Hello, hello, hello. I hope you are having an amazing day. I am just over the moon about sharing today's guest and conversation with you. And before I get into who Connor Moore is, I want to tell you a little story about how we met. So Carrie on my team reaches out to different shows to pitch me for their shows and to pod swap and have people on the show as well. And so in January, we sent an email to Connor and I had listened to a few of his episodes and loved what he was doing with the Realness podcast that he hosts. And so Carrie sends him an email and in true Connor fashion, he responds with some attitude (laughs) because apparently he gets these requests all the time and doesn't necessarily say yes very often, which I understand. I'm in the same boat oftentimes. And so he responds with this, does she even listen to my show? This is what I'm about, blah, blah, blah. So Carrie forwards me this email and says, I don't know what to do with this. What do you want me to do? So I had just listened to one of his episodes on ayahuasca and I had been getting ready to go on my own trip for my ceremony. And I just thought it was so funny. I laughed so hard. And so I responded with equal or more amounts of attitude back to him with a lot of sass. And we immediately became friends. And it was so funny the way the exchange happened. And just clearly meant to be that we were supposed to interview each other because we definitely bring a lot of a lot of sass and a lot of attitude. And you'll hear we give each other a really hard time throughout this show. But the reason I love what Connor is doing and everything he is about is because he is so damn honest and he is so real. And he hosts, as I said, the Realness Podcast. But what he's really doing on a person-to-person individual level is so beautiful. So he has this lifestyle design program and a dating program. And so he works with his clients to help them create the life that they really want and get past the things that are holding them back and really understand how they got to where they are and why they are there and what sort of limiting beliefs or experiences or trauma has been holding them back that they may have not worked through. And I think he just does a really beautiful job of making really difficult and intimidating topics very digestible. And he is a completely different voice in the personal development space. And he has such a heart of gold and he really cares about people stepping into themselves and transforming and really having the joy and the pleasure that they want without taking themselves too seriously. So 
as you get to hear Connor, and if you've ever listened to his show, he is so funny. And he uses that comedy to take some of the pressure off and to help us laugh through life because not everything needs to be so serious. So in this episode, we'll get into all of that. We also talk a lot about vulnerability, what led him down the path of helping others create the life they want, and how he has really changed in his own life. And he uses his own experiences to lay the foundation for how he serves others. We get into ayahuasca and how it helped him expand and the way he actually showed up for me after my first ceremony when I was struggling a bit and we barely even knew each other then. And how healing yourself helps heal others as well. And then it allows you to fully step into other relationships in a different way. And he talks a lot about his childhood in this. And uh, I just commend him for the work that he's done and the person that he has become in ways that many people would be a victim and play that role and give up. He has persevered. And it's it's really amazing to watch and, and hear about from him. So be sure to listen to The Realness Podcast and check him out on Instagram. He's at Connor Wanders. And if you really want to get into it and spend some time with him, you can go to Costa Rica with him in May. He is headlining and running a retreat at Soltara. And it will be a beautiful plant medicine experience as well as a few other things that he has lined up for you. So if you go to getherealness.com, you can hear all about what he is up to. All right, without further ado, here is Connor Moore. Welcome to Kelly's podcast. Do you want to do the intro for my show moving forward? All of it? Yeah, you I would love to do that. Good voice. What, do you want to practice it right now? What, I need the script. You can come up with it. I just make it up every time. Do you? Yeah. How would that even work? I don't really write notes if I need to. If it's someone I don't know well, yeah, then I would write down bullet points and just go through topics we talk about and how I feel about the person. And I just talk about how amazing they are and how much... You always seem so excited about it. Yeah. You're like... <laughs> Do you are you gonna imitate me? Can you please? I, I wanna try, but it's like so it's so hard. You've yeah. never called one of your women your beloved? No, that's not my that's not that's my not thing. really your style. I call him like Michika. <laughs> I had the Bring out the, the Latin lover in you. Yeah, yeah, you know. I've got some aye, deep aye. down. Aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> no, You're I hanging just, out with a Mexican, you can do that here. Yeah, it works. Mm-hmm. It's not a cultural appropriation. Yep. No, I, I can't. That and the king and queen thing really geeks me out. Yeah. Like I have this guy friend. He's like, I'm just looking for my queen. I'm like, how's that going for you, dude? <laughs> <laughs> seems like you're having to... Cr- <laughs> seems like you've been looking for a long time. <laughs> okay, but here's my, my response to that. I identify with like this queen mentality or attitude, I guess. So I don't know. What's your apprehension with that? I just, it feels a little like um, contrived. Mm. It's fine. It's just one of those things. Like, it's just one of those things. I don't have a problem with it necessarily. Yeah. It's just, it's like people being vegan. It's just easy to kind of like make fun (laughs) of it. You know, it's like the law of attraction. Like it's cool and it probably has some like validity, but it's also like, it's more fun for me to make fun of it than it is for me to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. So I choose to make fun of it Mm -hmm. while also understanding it. (laughs) Why do you like to make fun of vegans? Well, because they tire very quickly. 
So if you can make, if you get them real riled up, they get like, they, they have to take a nap. Oh my God. They're very iron deficient, generally speaking. <laughs> like they were, they were thinking about doing a UFC for vegans, but they like could only go one round. You're insane. And then they had to start apologizing to each other. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> it's funny. My poor community is like, what is happening on the show today? It's funny. It's like, it's like you know that kid that like had, um, that one kid that everybody had in elementary school mm-hmm. that was kind of like um, allergic to everything mm-hmm. and they couldn't play sports and stuff. Yeah. It's like people just opted to be that kid. Like oh they grew God. up and they're like, oh, I want to be that kid Stop. that like, can't do things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> it makes no sense. That's so sad. That's yeah, cool. Oh my gosh. You know, but each their own. I honor your soul's journey. Amen. So I wanted to have you on the show because you have quickly become one of my favorite people. And I listened to a few of your episodes before we had reached out to you. I think that the great thing about you is there's this... Obviously, you're hilarious, which I love. You make me laugh so hard. I tell you this all the time about driving in my car and I just like, I'm spitting water out or laughing so hard at you because you're so funny. But there's this amazing, authentic, really deep side to you. And you do such a nice job on your show of sharing all of these layers to you and all the different experiences. And you really, you share everything. There's, There's no filter on you, which I think is amazing. But I want to I want to talk to you about what vulnerability means to you and the conversation within men being vulnerable and why you have felt a need and a willingness to go there. Vulnerability. Yeah. So I feel like I've said this a few times, I think, on the show. And you know, the te- like the textbook definition of vulnerability is to open yourself up to the possibility of physical or emotional harm. So that's the, the, the actual definition, which is a good job of explaining what it is to someone else. So I think one of the barriers to vulnerability is the feeling of safety. And I think that a lot of times we don't feel that. And I don't think that we even know that we don't feel that. Mm. It, it's especially for men... You know, there's a we've talked at this at, about this at length that there's a lot of our like masculinity has been kind of like pseudo sacrificed, right? We talked even about the like the threat of violence mm-hmm. and locker room kind of how team sports guys are way different than like the difference in football players and basketball players, right? There's like a camaraderie piece to that, and I think that a lot of times with vulnerability it gets taken very seriously. This is a very serious thing. And it can be like there's places, there's a time and a place for being super cracked open and vulnerable. And at the same time, there's a lot of capacity for vulnerability in, in taking yourself less seriously and even choosing language that, that isn't related to being extremely uh, like abrasive almost, right? Like the word trauma, for example. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a lot easier to be vulnerable if I change the word trauma into the word experience. Yeah. Where it's, that's not, because it doesn't have you in that like tense place. And I feel like feeling safe and feeling understood and feeling seen may mean that you do that in your goofiness too, right? And kind of like being a goofy asshole. Mm-hmm. And you get to be acknowledged for that and acknowledged and seen in a, in, a, in, a, in a more broad capacity. And there's a nice gateway to vulnerability there where you can start to feel into 
being accepted and being seen and being understood. Mm. I feel like that's a gateway to vulnerability. And that's why I do things the way that I do. I like to say on our retreats and anything that I do with people out there, there's a good laugh to cry ratio. That's what we're looking for. You know, it's like a two to one <laughs> laugh to cry. And I think that there's so much there that we don't even acknowledge in ourselves and almost has to be spoken, has to be spoken out to be, to be seen and to be felt on our own from ourselves, right? You're like, you're like, even if you've had this happen where you're working with somebody and you're getting into, into the juicy, vulnerable bits and you're saying things that you didn't even realize you thought or felt or understood. Yes. Same thing with journaling, right? And that's one thing. That's why I have all my clients do like journaling is the biggest practice for us is because the pages don't judge you, mm-hmm. right? So the only judgment you're bringing into your journaling practice is your own. And that's very, that'll show you a lot. There's a lot of, a lot of learning and in, in what kind of judgment you're bringing into your own self-expression that no one's going to see. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if I answered your question, no, but you I did, did go on a rant. You did. <laughs> on the experience portion of things and the trauma, what are, what are things that you experienced that really sort of catapulted this idea of being vulnerable and willing to work through them? I call it forced reflection. So I think that like, like reflection is optional. You experience things and you express yourself, but reflecting on the way that you do that is, is optional. And I think that I got just kind of kicked in the throat by being an arrogant asshole enough times that I didn't had to check myself. And I could have kept going that way. But um, I noticed repeating patterns in my life, especially my relationships with men. And I had to get really honest with myself, like brutally honest with myself. And that required me to be vulnerable, right? And so... I mean, I guess it was just a series of... I'm trying to like... I'm actually trying to answer these questions in like a non-cliche way that I haven't before. <laughs> and you're asking really <laughs> good you. questions. I really appreciate that. So once I got clear with myself and started seeing... And I was coaching CrossFit at the, for almost all of my 20s. So I was in front of people all the time. And so I'd started just like seeing these patterns in my own life and the situations I'd got myself in. I started taking responsibility for that. I actually read the book... Start with why. Oh my God, I love that book. It was the first book that I ever read that was like, that I thought when I thought books were cool again. Mm. I was like 22 or something. It just came out. I actually listened to it on a, a CD. Oh wow, that is old school. <laughs> it was like pre audible. Um, what is that life? <laughs> it was so crazy. I was like, I had a CD changer in my truck and I was like so trying to make cool. them all work. And it, it, I was really lucky that I got a chance to essentially one, do what I do now. I, I, I played a character in front of my class. I was there as entertainment and education. And I wanted everybody to have a great experience. But then when I started working with one people in small groups and one-on-one, I started seeing how much when we talked about life outside of the gym, that me sharing my own stories created an impact for people. And I had a very diverse upbringing. I had a lot of this varied experiences from having you know, parents that were addicts having grandparents who raised me who were super loving. So I got to experience both sides at one time. And my whole life has kind of been like that, very dualistic. Like it, it was kind of straddling the fence always. So when I started seeing that, I started seeing people do that and facilitating that for other people and then the power in that. And then what's funny is that in the, through the context of the gym, like people's mentalities towards, towards the way that they worked out and the way that they showed up in the gym and they were more vibrant and they were having better results. And it kind of clicked for me at like 25 or 26. I was like, oh, I see. There's like way more. This is actually more about the people than it is about the actual workout that we're doing here. And that's actually just kind of an excuse to be here. It's an excuse to come move and, and, and connect with people. So then it was kind of just a slippery slope into do what I do now with the, with, the, with the realness and the coaching that I do. 
but I can't say there was like a one, like one real big thing. It was just, it was a, it was a process. Mm -hmm. And then as technology became what it was, I mean, that was like when Instagram, I guess, had first come out. And then I started writing a little bit and meditating and putting it out in the world and getting responses from that. It was just, yeah, it was just like little, little things here and there. Every time there was another opportunity to do something that I put myself out there, I was so used to it by my late 20s because I lived the majority of my life in front of other people, whether it be in the gym or, or coaching seminars, that um, it was really natural for me. Mm-hmm. You're such an amazing writer. I told you this the other day when we were talking. I love reading your stuff. I love the flow of how you explain experiences and things that are so close to your heart. How has writing and maybe journaling plays a role in this as well allowed you to express yourself in a different way from probably an even even deeper place than when you're just speaking? Uh, so writing is... Oh, that's such a good question. Writing for me... <laughs> it's kind of part of this bigger question, which is like why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. And my question, my answer to that always is that it makes my life make sense. That's really why. That's why I need this thing. I need this stuff started. And I actually started writing publicly before I started journaling. I actually have this journal right here. So we're in my like bedroom, but uh, it's like a five year journal. So it's like a few lines you write every day. And I'm on year five now, mm-hmm. so I can like really reflect on my life. And that was the first my intro to journaling. Wow. And then from that, I get to like really see my patterns and understand things. But when I started writing, it helped me create a narrative and an understanding of my experiences. So it was it forced me to refine my thoughts and my experiences into something that was easily explained and easily understood. And now with the with the research I've done now, and, and Jordan Peterson talks about this a ton. I really admire his work. Um, he says one of the, one of the one of the biggest contributors to happiness is understanding your past. Is understanding and having a narrative for your past because you can only remember certain things. So it's what was the cause and effect, and how did you get that? And then actually, as a parent it's very important to be able to d- display that to, to your kids. Like this is what my life was and have a narrative of your life and be able to share that. And there's a Why lot of... Why for le- your kids? Why is that so important? Because they learn from those stories. Mm. Like telling stories is... You don't think about your life as a story a lot of times. Yeah. Joe Rogan went super viral with like be the superhero of your own... Or be the hero of your own story, that whole thing. And we tell stories, right? Like all... I mean, the, the Bible is full of fables. If you look at Buddhism, those are all stories. We, that's how we communicate. Before there was written languages, it was stories. Mm-hmm. So there's something deep, deep within us that resonates with stories. That's why everybody sobs when they watch A, cry, a Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so, or thinks it's overrated. Everyone, I don't know. Everyone cried except for me. <laughs> we resonate with these stories. So when you can have a compelling story that you've understood, and you, it also displays that you understand your life, mm-hmm. understand yourself. And you can share that with your kids. Then there's a lot more that can attach to that and really and really see that versus like being told what to do. Mm. That makes any sense at all. Yeah, no, it does. Did you have any of that experience though with your parents or grandparents and hearing stories about their life and then you were able to take from that? It took me a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So my... <sighs> My parents did the best they could. And I was really grateful for my grandparents. They took me in when I was about five. And uh, my parents, my mom struggled with addiction for a long time, as long as I can remember. So she was like in and out of my life, most of my life. My dad was more like a friend kind of. I saw him on every other summer and he, he also struggles with addiction as well to this day. Mostly amphetamines and, and stuff like that in Texas, like small town Texas mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and when I got into my... I resented my mother for a long time, more so than my dad. 
And it was very strange for me because my mom really tried. My dad didn't even try, but I think I resented her so much because she tried and just disappointed me over and over and over again. And as a kid, I didn't know. I thought it was my fault. You know, there was a lot of work that had to be done there. And my dad just kind of like checked out. I mean, you know, we were like distant and I had my grandfather as this father figure. So that really actually was, was that to feel healthier for me? And when I get into my late 20s and I've lived, I'd lived enough life and kind of fucked up enough times where I could see and start to understand that they were really doing the best they could and they were in by no means prepared at 19 to be parents, I started to understand the narrative of their life and it helped me be so much more compassionate for them. Mm-hmm. And now as I think about it, it, when it wasn't that they did it. It was that I kind of got as much data as I could and put the story together for myself to see how they ended up where they are now. And things like actually ayahuasca helped with that a ton. It gave me a little the space to do that. I was able to really feel a, like a deep sense of compassion that took the place of resentment for my mom. And then I actually saw my dad for the first time in like three years, five days, four or five days after I did ayahuasca for the first time, which was three times in a row, but the first weekend I did. And that was a pretty intense experience too. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a party and I want you to come. October 5th, LA, all day, me and my friends. Okay, not just my friends and not just my mom, but all of my healers, world-renowned doctors, Dr. Lekos, Martha Sofer, and the best speakers in the world are coming all for one day to teach you how to heal, to step into your power, to be authentic, how to work through toxic relationships, how to say goodbye to things that are no longer serving you, how to truly transform your life on the deepest level. That is what we are about here. And I want to provide every resource and every nugget of knowledge I have for you. I want to give it all to you. And we are doing it on October 5th. So go to kellytenant.com slash live to get your ticket. I want to hug you. I want to squeeze you. I want to cry with you. I want to talk about all the things and I want to support you. So please join us then. When you go through that where you're able to have empathy and compassion for people that may have you know, wronged you or been in, in difficult circumstances with, how does that impact the way you show up in the relationship and the healing that... Because we're younger and I think oftentimes our parents have been through a lot, but they sometimes are who they are and they're not as willing to do the work and it's definitely a generational thing. How have you been able to show up differently in, in the relationships and do healing not only for you, but for them as well? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So the, the easiest answer to that with my dad is that I don't right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my dad's in prison for another... He's been in there for six years. I think he has about a year left. So we text and stuff like that, but it's not something I have to really like show up for. Mm-hmm. But with my mother, I think was was so challenging. And I think people may relate to this is that I wanted to change her so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted, I was like, you need, I was like letting her know, like, you need to like come my way, like one step, like just show me that you give a fuck enough to like give just a little bit and like meet me in the middle, kind of like 90, 10 even. And when I was able to understand where she was coming from and why she was so steadfast in the way that she was and quit judging her for that, because that was just my patterning, right? I just patterned frustration and resentment. I didn't allow myself to react to her the, the way that she triggered me, then it let me give the whole thing a little bit of space. So she would say something that I would normally 
criticize or jump in and like you know, just kind of nag her about, which I really for some reason enjoyed doing because mm-hmm. holidays are way better when you're fighting with your mom, I guess. Yeah. It gave us a little bit of space. And I also completely reconciled not having a relationship with her at all. In my own, that was my own, I didn't tell her that, but in my own work, I was like, if this just doesn't, is this, if this just isn't a thing, then that's okay with me. And so that was like, well, and that's the worst case scenario. So I might as well like try to just calm down and give her some space. And with that, she saw a change in me. And over about a two year period, like little by little, she started to understand, to actually ask me questions and try to understand me more. And that changed everything. So if you look, you know, fast forward to now, like the past two years, I've had a completely different relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. And it took us 20 years to get there, but it took me, it took me backing off and quitting. And I just had, didn't try so hard to change somebody and looked at it through the lens of she's doing the best she can in expressing herself in her life in the best that she, the best way she knows how. Mm-hmm. How did your relationship with your mom and dad impact the way you were in romantic relationships yourself? <laughs> Oh man, so uh, I was really avoidant for a long time. I would kind of bounce back and forth, kind of anxious and avoidant, depending on the situation. I was—I didn't trust. It made sense. I just didn't trust women, and I also didn't think bigger than that. What was underneath that is I didn't feel that I was uh, worthy of love and affection from a woman in that way. Because my, you know, if you look at the patterning in six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, was like a manic mother coming back into your life and being like, hey, everything's going to be okay now. And like maybe a week, maybe two weeks if you're lucky. And going over the top, which is this addict behavior, right? Manic and then disappear. And I, I wouldn't see her or hear from her for three months, you know, just gone. Like out of nowhere. Like one day she's just not there anymore. You don't know how to handle that. Like that was just my response to that was don't let that happen again. You know, don't let that be your reality. And I was creating that as my reality <laughs> in response to, right? So it was, it was funny. I would attract, um, particularly in my last relationship, which is kind of a paradigm shifter for me, like somebody who was incredibly emotionally unavailable. And then I didn't feel good enough for, which was silly. It made no sense, but it, it like it was so silly that it just threw it all in my face. It was like you need to recognize this now. Like you've you've done enough and you've seen enough, you know. That changed everything. But it was I started seeing and really reconciling my avoidance uh, in the past few years, and that was something that yeah, it took a lot of work because you have to really again. It's really easy to go down the path of resentment with your with somewhat the person who you feel was not there for you. But I had to take. I mean, there's a difference in blame and responsibility. And you just have a distinction between blaming someone and, or blaming yourself and, and fault, you know, being at fault for something versus, hey, you know what? It's not my fault that that happened. It's not at all. But I am responsible for it because it's, it, it's me now. And I need to take responsibility for this and change those patterns. So I would say that now on the other side of it, I actually get to have more intimacy and, and deeper connections because it was so fucked for so long that I had to reflect on it. And... I could, I'm, I'm just really grateful I didn't end up in like a neutral area. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How did you, how did you come to feel worthy of that connection and that intimacy and that, that woman's presence in your life? <laughs> Healing the relationship with my mom helped a ton. 
And I know a lot of people don't get a chance to do that yeah. for lots of reasons, whether they're not willing or uh, they're passed away. Like that's, but healing that with internally was a big part of it. And you know what it was? And I have, I work with people on this a lot, was getting objective. Like just taking the step out of my own head, getting outside and being like, what is the world actually telling you? And it was so funny when I reflected on the girls that I had dated, I was like, man, I've actually dated like really badass girls. And I'm still friends with most of them. And they're, and you know, a lot of them are married now because that's what they do. But uh, that's I was what like, people our age do, right? I was like, good luck, Chuck. So and I was say. like, oh, the next day, I always marry the next guy. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're not as void and as that asshole, I'm good. Oh my God. Um, no, but I, I reflected on that. And, and what, I got out of my own like filter that I viewed the world through of like, mm-hmm. I'm a victim. Mm-hmm. Things have always been a problem. I'm the problem. It's my fault. Like that, I got out of that and just like, let me just step to the side of that and look at what the, what the real world is telling me as best I can see without, not through my eyes, but through an, the eyes of an observer. And when I got to see that, I was like, oh man, it means I'm actually, maybe I'm actually a desirable human being. Holy shit. Wow. That's weird. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that, you know, and people have really loved on me and people have shown up for me. And it's, I had this really big like wound that I was dealing with. But in reality, that wasn't, there was so many more people that were there for me than that weren't. And I just, it, that, that one like dark spot just became the focus, which is, it's just part of humanity, right? It's, it, we, we have a negative bias because we want to stay alive. So we focus on the negative shit so much instead of seeing that there was people all the time. There were literally hundreds of people that I coached in, through CrossFit or strength and conditioning in the world that just fucking showed up every day and just loved that. Like I sold out all my classes. I wasn't even supposed to do that at my old job. Mm-hmm. But those people showed up for me and they like rooted for me and they still root for me to this day. And it's like, but I was so concerned about the one thing that didn't work out. Yeah. Like the one person that didn't. And that's just, and then also had to back off and be like, that's outside of being like the person who gave you life. That's just another person. She's just a person, you know? And it was, it was crazy. So I had to, it was a lot of unpacking of all that. And then between that and my good friend, Alan Watts. <laughs> <laughs> I, Alan Watts. You sent definitely. me all of his book recommendations. I still need to get on that. Oh man, it, well, it was it was the nature of you know there was something I used to walk around uh, in like the woods in Austin a lot. That's where actually the Connor Wanders thing came from. Ah uh, yes. Um, I just wander around, and I remember hearing him saying that we're an aperture that the universe uses to observe itself. Ooh. Right, so you're like a peephole for the universe to see, and he also makes a uh, draws a parallel between us being a, like a nerve ending on the universe, to and the nature of life is to experience. Right, the the ocean waves, the leaf, the tree leaves, and the universe peoples. Right, so the nature is to experience and to experience really challenging things and really exciting things, and the diversity of experience is really beautiful. And that requires all of it and being open to all of it. And in order to broaden the spectrum, you have to feel more pain to feel more joy. Like you have to, you're opening yourself up to capacity, which is a back to vulnerability. If you really want to experience a blissful life, know that it's all temporary. And in order to unlock that next level of bliss, you've got to also unlock that next level of sorrow on the other end. And you're opening yourself up to a full spectrum. It doesn't just go one way. That's not reality. And it shouldn't be. This is the human experience. Yeah. I always tell people that's why I'm so glad that I got sick because I was able to experience this level of darkness that I now know has helped me appreciate the light that's in my life now. So it's like that full duality of going from one to the other, but you don't appreciate either side if you haven't been on the other side. 
Exactly. Yeah. How would you know? Yeah. You mentioned about being a victim mentality. And I think there's so many different aspects in your life where you could have just dropped into that victim and just Mm -hmm. sort of settled for that. And I think oftentimes that happens for people. Obviously with your parents and everything that they had gone through and you're a kid and you didn't create this. So you could step into that victim role and losing your gym. Yeah. Victim role. And you can tell that story because I think it's, it's amazing what you've done since then. Ending your career playing sports because of injury. Like everything happened to you, right? And that's how we look at it so often. But you've made the shift into everything has happened for you and you've used it to create this amazing life and to pay it forward and help other people and also do the work to serve others and be a voice for them, which I think is so beautiful. How did you make that shift out of victim into it's happening for me and this is a gift? Yeah, that was a huge reframe. That's a great question too. And just a quick... Uh, when we talk about the, the, I'll just give you the summarized gym story. Yes. Just so you know. But uh, so I opened a gym when I was 27. That was my goal since I was 19. And then I, uh, I was the building I was in was super deep into some real estate fraud and they sold the building and they lied about a bunch of stuff. So I was just kind of like... I had to make a decision like, am I out of this or am I just... Do I fight? I don't know what I do. So I just... I just I, I bailed. I was like, this is not emotionally... It was, I, was, I was done. It was so exhausting. I was like in a, in a lawsuit that I had nothing to do with. I'm just, I, just want, I just want people to work out. Like, what are we doing here? So I sold everything and, and, and went a different direction. And that was actually a really great catalyst because that was a perfect example of me having the opportunity to go like, oh, woe is me and this happened to me. And through that's actually when I started meditating. And through all that, I started thinking, I didn't ask the right questions. Like I had all the resources. I had the best mentors in the in the fitness industry that I could ask for. And I didn't even ask them questions about this stuff. I didn't do due diligence. Why not? I was so arrogant. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like a 27-year-old boy. <laughs> well, and the thing was, I was really good at what I did. I had yeah. a high likelihood of success. Yeah. But I thought the difference was I thought I was special. Mm. And once I realized that just because you're good at something and you do it for the right reasons and your heart's in the right place, that doesn't mean it's going to work out. And again, it shouldn't. Because right. if you just had the best intentions in the world and you could, you know, just think happy thoughts and fly like Peter Pan, well, that wouldn't be that fun. That's like that, that, that that's the key to the that's the key to the castle. Like that's not mm-hmm. there's gotta be more to it than that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely didn't ask the right questions. I, and that, that was a huge piece of humility that I didn't and I didn't have access to or didn't cho- chose I had access to, I just chose to ignore. And then I started looking at my whole life like that. I mean, yeah, the injuries and things like that. You know, that was it, it was what it was. But again, you have a different mentality. Like I took the mentality of I put a chip on my shoulder from the injury because I didn't really want to quit. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, I got knocked out. And that's whenever that's the case, as I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like I kinda like like fuck you, I'll prove you wrong type totally. of thing. Like when they told me I'd never deadlift again, I was like, yeah, someone um, that's not my reality. So I'm gonna go ahead and figure out how to do that. And then I deadlifted six hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. A handful of years later, it's like, yeah, see, told you. So ridiculous. <laughs> it's so stupid, but it was like funny. And I think that the victim stories became very the the gym and the injuries. Those were the easy ones. Those are those are like you can read a book about being a victim and notice like, okay, here's two or three or like low, this is the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize is that I I had been I'd always had an ace in the hole, like a, like a, just a like just in case things don't work out. I can ha- have this excuse. Mm. And that was where the shit was really subtle. And I feel like any kind of personal development work, you always pick the low-hanging fruit first. It's like, oh, okay, like victim story, like, you know, self-limiting beliefs. Like it's that really easy shit. And the higher the fruit gets, the more you have to work for it. 
And this is why when we talk about psychedelics, I actually do... When I started working with psychedelics, I did them more often. And now every time I do them, I have to get into some stuff that's so deep rooted. I'm like, let me just take a year. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> I took a year and implement all of this stuff because holy shit, that was a lot. Uh-huh. You know, I can't imagine the people that do ayahuasca like several times a year. I'm like, oh you are or something. That's a, that's a different, that's a different journey than Well, me. like a dia that too, or you're doing it every day for a year and you're not having any water and like no food. <sighs> um, crazy. No, thanks. It's a whole different, yeah, that's not on my soul's journey, dog. Nope. <laughs> There's no shaman inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to make it entertaining content. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but um, the victim story. So whenever I was down there, speaking of ayahuasca, like I started seeing this subtle pattern of having that. And that to me was, that was, the, that was the, the root of it, right? I got down to like, this is where it's really coming from. And it was that I always had a reason not to succeed. I always had a reason. And if I didn't have one, I could find one easy. I had this like... Like I had that ace in the hole, right? It was just always there, right up my sleeve. If like things, if if the business that I'm running now didn't work out, it's like, oh, it's because, you know, I got fired from my last job and kind of thrown on my ass out of nowhere. And that was really not cool. You know, that was a <laughs> pretty shitty experience all in all. But yeah. it was always that. And then I um I was in ayahuasca, an ayahuasca ceremony at Sotara, where we're we're holding the realness retreat in May. And I don't know how many how much your listeners are into this stuff, but Oh, they are. So I was, um, I was laying there and I had this... Uh, my intention going into that night was, show me my heart. Um, so usually it's like a show me or a teach me is like a great intention starter if you're getting new. But I just, that was something that I felt like I hadn't been able to really get into my like heart space. And I was thinking like metaphysical heart, like the little swirly white light, cool stuff that I'd seen before on different, you know, different experiences. And I get into the, you know, about an hour in and they, the, the, the healer starts singing and this this beautiful Peruvian couple and they're just amazing. And I'm sitting up and smoking a mapacho, which is this Peruvian black tobacco that's super grounding and just in my space. And I hear this voice go, I see all these, these victim patterns that I'd still been holding on to. She goes, you've got to let go of this. And I was actually, it was, I was watching a conversation between ayahuasca and myself. Wow. <laughs> so she goes, you've got to let go. And then I go... Like the version of me that was talking to her goes, yeah, I don't know how. She goes, you've got to let go of it. And then I go, who am I if I'm not a victim though? And I was like, dude, what? (laughs) I was like, hang on a second. That doesn't sound good. (laughs) Can we have have a conversation real quick about this? And then uh, she goes, well, if you want to be a victim, I'll show you victimhood. And then for the next three hours of my night, I was dying over and over again. In every different scenario that you could possibly think of, from prison camps to, I had this really random vision of being a Vietnamese person during the Vietnam War, getting shot for no reason. That happened. I mean, that happened a ton. It was like these real things that happened: prison camps, starving to death, like real atrocities. And I felt I was so confused because I didn't even know who I was anymore. Mm. I just felt that over and over and over again. And I remember, like, I would kind of come out of it every now and then and be like, "What in the hell?" this have to do with my heart? Like, this is not <laughs> what I intended to come in here for. Eventually at the end, I remember feeling my left arm and I grabbed my left arm and I'm like, okay, oh, my arm. Okay. I'm back. Oh, I'm Connor. Oh, I'm Connor again. This is great. And I feel up my left arm and under my shoulder. I'm just like excited to be back in my body and just kind of a little bit panicked. And then I put my hand on my chest and I start feeling my heartbeat. And I sit there for a second. And then I just started sobbing. I was so, I was just so overwhelmed, like a wave of gratitude for being alive. 
that that wasn't that I wasn't a victim. I didn't need to be a victim. Like that wasn't like I've got to feel what it was like to really be a victim. And it's like, you don't want to play at this game. This isn't, this isn't for you. Mm-hmm. Like there's really people out there that have to experience things out of their control in a way that's, that's terrible. And, uh, then this, um, just, just like sitting across like a crying, like just letting it all go. But in like, the, I was so joyful. It was very, cause I was sad for all those things that I'd experienced, but I was so joyful and, and great, grateful to be for every heartbeat. That's just what it felt like every time, like every time my heart would beat and I would feel it, I would like start crying harder. <laughs> it was so crazy. And then this, this, this face was in front of me and had like blue dots around his eyes, like glowing. And all he said was, a warrior stands up for their people. And then just disappeared. I was like, okay, good to know. Noted. I'll write that down. And that was one of the craziest experiences of my life, but it helped me get through the subtle, like the, I started hearing them and seeing them like through the the entire experience. It's like subtle, like, oh, well, your mom didn't really treat you right. So if you never have a healthy relationship, it's just really because of that. It's like, well, I don't need to live that way. You know, oh, well, this, this happened. This person like really took advantage of you. So if you're not successful in business, you can just blame it on that. And it's like always a little excuse in the background. that's just ready, skewed up, ready to go. And like essentially purging that was really, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't, I see, I hear, feel it come up now, but it just kind of like push it. It's like, no, that's not the case. Like you don't need that. Like what, is, what does it actually serve you? So it's been, um, that was kind of the pinnacle of it, but it was, we're just so subtle, man. Those 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 beliefs just live in such a. I don't know where they're at, but they just they're so sneaky. Mm-hmm. They're sneaky little bastards. They are. <laughs> the best program I created this year is something called Detox, and we had thousands of people take it already. And it's just April, and the reason everyone loved it is because we made this difficult concept of going clean with your products and trying to figure out what is and isn't healthy for you. And we made it really simple. And I did a step-by-step process of how to get rid of toxic products in your home, how to clean up your daily routine, my top recommendations for what you should be using, products like Puracy and Fleur and my personal favorite beauty counter... And I just give you the tools to take control of your life in that way. Dirty products are disrupting your hormones, causing autoimmune disease, infertility, PCOS, acne, asthma, so many different issues. And it's time for you to clean up your routine. If you go to kellytenant.com slash detox... You can take my free course and learn all about how to clean up your routine in a very simple and fun way. You've been such a... I don't know what to call you. Just to help me feel more stable after my ayahuasca experience. Um, And that's one of the shows I first listened to when I found you was... I don't remember who you're talking to, but it was about ayahuasca and... It was cool to hear other people's experiences before I went because only my my girlfriend Jordan Younger was the only person I knew. Yeah. And shouts to the balanced blonde. That's right. We were one of the only people that I knew had done it. And so, as you know, I had a really hard time when I was coming back and just integrating and I, I didn't feel like I was here and I was shaking a lot and just trying to 
to incorporate what I had learned, but also feeling like I was having mini ceremonies at home by myself after I was like away <laughs> from people. And it was, it can be kind of terrifying. And especially because it was my first time, I just, I didn't know a lot about the whole experience. So I would love for you to verbalize better than I have on the show so far. Um, oh, come on. Do yourself a <laughs> I haven't talked about it very much. I'm still, <laughs> it's still close to my heart. I'm not ready yet. Well, it take, again, it's so, it's so much easier when you can put together like a, a narrative of it. Yeah. Right? You give it stuff on it. It takes months too. Totally. Because the integrate... People don't understand this. That the integration of ayahuasca takes... Ye- of one ceremony or one experience, whether it's several in a week, will take you over a year. Oh, I believe that. Because things don't make sense. It's like you're, mm-hmm. giving like, a, like you're giving a bunch of information and you have to do things in order for the next thing to make sense. You're like, oh, that thing. Yeah, I remember that. And you yes. look back at your journal or whatever it is and it'll click and it doesn't seem... It just seems so obscure at the time. And then it makes, you know, six months down the road, it, it, it's like a puzzle piece that just needed to be in your life. Mm-hmm. But you've got to take action to do that. Yeah, so I'll cut you so off. True. No, that's, that's great. I just want to get your take on what the experience is like and who it's for. And obviously, I, I want you to talk about your retreat that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be so amazing and beautiful. <laughs> I love hearing about it. And I'm actually really upset I'm not going. But um, next time. But just your experience with it, who, who is drawn to it um, and, and why it helps in the healing process so much? Yeah. And those are all really good questions. And I get, I hear that a lot. And I, I don't ever try and talk anyone into right. ayahuasca. That's definitely not the move. That's not what we're, that's not what we're trying to, to do. You called to the medicine. Yeah. And if you listen to a podcast like this, like you've heard about it. And, and if you're curious about it, and it starts like, like this, like a little, it's like a little tug at your heart, you know? It's like, maybe maybe you should like check this out. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a beginning step, you know? And from there... It's getting, it's finding people that you trust. And because this is a very, it's an extremely, you know, to speak of vulnerability, you're in a physically, mentally, and emotionally very vulnerable place. Um, and that's how the experience goes. That's the thing. You're cracked the fuck open. And it's funny. I mean, physically or mentally or emotionally or all three at the same time. So having a really safe environment for that is incredibly important. And, and, healers that you trust. I always recommend when people look for something like this, like know somebody who's been there, ideally several people who have been there, especially if you're going to South America, especially if you're going to Peru, because that's kind of a savage place. You know, Um, A lot of people do it in the States. I did it in the States for the first time. And when you look at doing it, you're feeling, all right, this is like something I want to do. You know, preparing for the experience, listening to other people's experiences probably isn't the best idea. Because a lot of times they'll be like, oh, this is what it's like. And it's going to be like this for you too. Because they're just so excited about it. What I can say is that it's different for everybody. A lot of times, like I said, it's, there's a physical piece of it where, you know, and I try to keep these things pretty surface level, but it's, I felt like I was like a wet towel getting wrung out, you know, and it was just cleaning out all the stuff. <laughs> like I might as well be on like a washboard. <laughs> it was just like, it was just, it was brutal, but it, it, it felt like my body was completely different afterwards. And there was my own story that I don't want to overshare about that, but you know, and sometimes it's all in your head. Sometimes I felt like my, my brain was just purging. Like it was just thoughts. And I actually saw my Instagram feed one time, just like what? all the noise in my, it was all the noise that was populating my wow. head was just all like displayed in front of me. And I was like, wow, I probably should be careful what I put into my, into my dome. <laughs> And uh, stuff like that. So, and then you can have these emotional breakthroughs where I felt like, 
you know, I've like seen my mom and I've seen my dad and I've seen my family and I've seen people in my life that I just needed to say something to that I never got a chance to. And ayahuasca just like popped them up. It was like, it was like whack-a-mole of people that I wanted to say something to. And it was like 25, 30 people. It was an entire ceremony of me just saying, thank you. Like, fuck, I didn't know at the time, but thank you so much. Or like, I'm sorry. Or, you know, I'm just grateful for you. And I wish I could have been a better, better brother to my brothers, you know? When we were growing up because things were so weird, but I got to physically, I was like whispering these things to these visions. And, and so it's such a diverse experience. And it's different every time, but it's really important to know that you're going to get into the things that depending on the way, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's hard. And usually it's a little bit of both, but it's kind of that junk drawer of your consciousness, right? It's that, that closet or drawer where you put the stuff that you're just like, whatever it goes in here. And you're going to open that thing and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be work. Um, and that's why with the retreat at Soltara, we've combined it because it is so physical and, and mental and emotional. We've combined it with um, my friend Mike Salimi does this really cool stretching workshop. It's called Eldoa and it's very specific to different parts of the body. But we thought that would be a great in conjunction with <laughs> ayahuasca because it is so physical. So it gives you something you can take home, like a really cool stretching practice you can take home. Um, a good friend, Kirsten Asher, does this embodied dance practice. So we'll be doing that as well. And then um, I do this really fun, like I see you face painting slash body painting circle. That's really, really cool too. That's but awesome. that, and it's at Soltar. The food's amazing. The staff's incredible. The healers are just, I'm excited that the same healers that were there um, when I was there are going to be there for the retreat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teo and Medina are they're just such the sweetest. Proving people are so small too. So it always makes oh, them much yeah. more cute. Because when you give them a hug, they're just like, <laughs> so, so I great. I mean, you are 6'4". Yeah, yeah. And they just like look up. They're, they're great. But um, they're all from the same community down in down in uh, Peru from the Shipibo tradition. So they rotate every few months from the same, I think, eight or so healers. So it just happened that will be the, the same people will be there That's again. amazing. But they've been working with people for 10 years. So it's a really well vetted and... Just a super strong environment. It's it's something. It was this, the way they did it at Soltara was something really special, and I'm so I'm super excited to be partnering with them. Why do you feel like retreats are something that are meant for you to be facilitating? Well, I have my own like approach to this whole thing, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I think my biggest fear in life is to not be the generic personal development guy, yeah. and I'm more than willing to put myself out there and risk it for people. I've actually seen that on my own little journeys is that my, my role isn't necessarily to be like super grounded. I will, I'll go experience something and, and give you my honest feedback. And I think that for the sake of being very authentic, that's kind of... I've essentially built a brand around being... Giving you permission to give yourself permission to do what the fuck you want, kind of. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> it's like, I'm not giving you permission because that's not my responsibility. But yeah. if you would like to give yourself permission, <laughs> you can do that. That's, that's within your power. So I, I like that I get to go to these like a place like Soltara, check it out. Have a real people trust that I'm going to be honest about my experience, and because of that, especially when you're going talking about going to South America or anything like that, Costa Rica, Costa Rica's I prefer honestly to Peru just because it's so much more accessible and the people are just fucking awesome. So for me, it was I felt like it was a great way to get people in that experience, full immersion, and then combine it with things that we do that I think are just you don't no one's doing that, no one's like pairing it all together, but it's really about your experience at the end of the day and honoring your experience. And I like that I get to be the person that people trust to get information like this. Mm-hmm. And so for me to just be able, I'm not even sitting in ceremony. I will sit in one as a, as a facilitator and, and, and take a facilitator dose and just be with everyone to be in the medicine with everyone. But it's 1000% about the people that are going. Mm-hmm. I'm just there as a, 
as a, as a bridge, you yeah. know? And it's, it's just fun to be that way. Like mm-hmm. I say, the only, my answer to that question is because it's just fun. Yeah. It's fun to have retreats and it's fun to, you know, I, the people at Soltara are doing an amazing job. I love to support what they're doing. And I love to, for people to be able to, if they want to have this experience and it's so overwhelming, it's like, cool, well, I got, I'll take care of all of it for you. Let's go, mm-hmm. you know? And everybody wins and it gets to be a part of my job, which is really cool too. So it just checks all the boxes of something that's really super aligned with what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, people leave happier and, and they, ha- they get to work through some stuff and we get to have some laughs, maybe throw a football on the beach in the meantime. You know, it's just yeah. one of those things. Yeah. I think I like what you said about being the bridge because we talked about this last week in, in the spirituality piece of things. And, you know, I am, I'm still sort of new to this world. And so I'm deep diving like, crystals and pulling cards and talking to the angels and all the things. And you were talking about how you went so spiritual and you actually reined it back. And it's more about that day-to-day implementation of things that people can actually use. How have you figured out what that line is for you? That's a really good question. So if it doesn't have practical application that I can like wrap my hands around or wrap my head around even... You almost just knocked the Buddha off the wall know, there. That That's the studio bad. Buddha. That would have been such bad luck for me. I don't you know. Yeah, he would have forgiven you. Me. He's so cute. <laughs> I need to post a picture of this. <laughs> okay, it's, it's great. But um, so for me, it's like if it doesn't have if it doesn't have um, practical application to life, I leave it alone. Mm-hmm. And so, give an example of something that wouldn't have practical application. Oh man, I'm trying to, I don't want to piss your audience off. It's okay. <laughs> You're not supposed to shove crystals up your butt. That doesn't like. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, find, find somebody who can convince me that's good for me and I might try it out. Um, yeah, crystal dildos are something that I don't think has a practical application to my life personally, but totally support, uh, you know, the rose quartz vibrators that they have those out yeah, there. Yeah, for the yonis. Yeah, for the yonis, yoni squad out there. Um, you know, for me, and a lot of it has to do with what I resonate with. I'm not, I don't try to hate on anything. Like for example, the law of attraction is something I just really love to rip on. But I also have my own way. I just because I have my own way of explaining it. That's different, right? And there's so many things like God. I'm just I'm having a hard time. Crystals are a good one where yeah. it's like I just don't see the va- like they're cool. You don't see the the power of the value in them. Okay, so think about this. It's like an energetic return on investment. Mm-hmm. What is my like? I don't have a lot of energy. I'm a I'm like a one man content yeah. machine. Yeah. So yeah, you are. for me to <laughs> soon to be a two person content team, yeah. but um, yeah, shouts to Lindsay if she's listening to this. If it doesn't have an emo- a practical return on investment that I can then use, articulate and share with people, mm-hmm. I just have a hard time. It just doesn't. It doesn't check the boxes of give me giving a fuck. What if it makes you feel good? That's my own thing, right? That's a different. That's a different conversation. That's like a personal. That's like a personal thing, right? Like working out is that doesn't really do much for right. everyone around me, but it makes me feel good. So then I do a better job. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But as far as from the creation, like the mission that I'm on, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of I guess underlying. But yeah, yeah. It's um, man, you like painting me into a corner here. <laughs> I'm having a hard time. <laughs> Challenging questions, dude. Well, I um, told you I was going to show up. Yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I'm looking here. I think I've done most of the talking on this show. I mean, that's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> You're going to have a chance to grill me in 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah, so. I'm excited about it. So, um, yeah, I think when it comes down to it, it's more, it's not so much that I, uh, I rip on anything. I do that as just for fun and like, you know. Shout out to your YouTube channel. Yeah, go check out the YouTube channel and find out how to so be good. emotionally unavailable. <laughs> um, but uh, it's more where I invest my time. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm probably going to read, I'm not going to 
probably not going to read a book about, you know, invest 20 hours of my life into, into uh, something that I don't find a lot of value in. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I will deep dive into something that and really seek to understand in a high level. Uh, something like Maps of Meaning, which is a 30-hour textbook that I'm reading about mm-hmm. the way that we create the narratives of our lives, mm-hmm. right? And getting between where you are and where you think you should be mm-hmm. and what that means. Because that to me is like, okay, that's something I can do. And then it's my responsibility on the other end of that to articulate it in a way that resonates with people that like what I have to say. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm basically taking things, it, well, it could be anything, spirituality, psychology, and then I'm, I'm, communicating in a, I'm communicating it in a way that resonates with the people that for whatever reason are attracted to what I have to say. Mm-hmm. And that to me is my responsibility. And it's t- talk about being a bridge, right? And I, I find a lot of value in that, that I can talk to former frat dudes and you know yoga teachers and do it in a way where I'm not condescending and I'm not talking to you. Like I, I don't allow myself to be put on the pedestal like that, mm-hmm. but I'm a teacher in a certain type of way. Yeah, you are. And there's a relatability to it that I find very empowering for everybody involved, including myself. That's why so many people love you is because you are relatable and you make... You make really hard concepts. I'm throwing you under the bus. Last night when we were at dinner and you were drawing on a napkin. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually a receipt. On on a receipt about free will. You make really tough concepts, very digestible and understandable. And I think Mm -hmm. people appreciate that because in the personal development space, it can get so high level and so ridiculous that then people are like, well, fuck it. I don't want to even do it at all. Yeah, exactly. Well, and a lot of times here's the thing. You have to understand that this personal development space seems super altruistic and everybody's out there trying to do the best they can. In behind the curtain, sorry, if you ever watched The Wizard of Oz, that archetype makes sense. It's a bunch of fucking egos trying to get a bunch of Instagram likes. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's what it is. And people are, in the, even in the personal development world, they're like measuring, measuring dicks in the version of bank accounts with each other. And that's, that's the reality of the situation. It is a business. So you got to think about it from a 10,000 foot view. Very, very, very honest with the way you're looking at this. If it it's advantageous for someone to make things complicated enough for them you to need them to understand it, and I don't have this. I don't seek to do that. That's not that's not my goal. My goal isn't for me to make a complicated process that then you have to pay me to understand. Right. When I could just say like, it's not that hard, mm-hmm. you know. Take yourself a little less seriously. Oh, we don't know how. Cool. Well, let's figure out how to do that. Yeah. Right. Take practical action and do it now. Right. Break patterns. Okay, how are we going to break patterns? I don't go to yoga class, go to ecstatic dance. Like I had in my lifestyle design program, two out of the th- two out of the four guys in there were going to hip hop dance classes. Yes, and the girls were going to boxing. So good. <laughs> and it was like that's what they chose because it was so far outside of their normal realm of it was a, it was a complete pattern break, and it just changed it shifts your neurology a, a little bit. So if you can find you know spirituality and Buddhist practices and psychology and neurology, and you look at it in a way, it's all kind of saying the same thing. And none of it was that complicated. The reason that Rumi and Jesus and Siddhartha Gautama, right, the Buddha, were impactful is because they made these things that seem so complicated that the church owned or that, you know, the, the, the super intense like priests owned this information and made it relatable. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why not do that? It worked for them. And people, you know, it worked for those people that followed those guys. So it seems like it has a place. Mm-hmm. Alan Watts did the same thing. It was kind of my, you know, one person I would have dinner with. If I could pick one person that's not alive anymore. Yeah. yeah. How, how does your life di- lifestyle design program work? Uh, so it is a 16-week program, program now. Uh, it's eight weeks of weekly video calls. 
And then bi-weekly for four more sessions at the end to kind of integrate back into life. But we get really, really clear and honest about where you are right now. That's step number one. Like, Let's look at where you're at right now and how you got there. So we're really breaking down patterns to see how you get to where you are. Okay. And being honest with that. And then again, looking at where you want to be or where you feel like your life should be trending towards and setting in setting really practical plans and practices that are aligned with that. Um, there's a big piece of that. That's an accountability. A big part of that is self-reflection. So through the journaling practices that we do, a lot of it is free flow journaling, similar to morning pages, but we're taking the key things that you notice in that and we're breaking those down, right? So we're just seeking a high level understanding of and a deeper understanding of your patterns and why you are the way you are. And then of course, when you come to that, there's like obviously resentment comes up, so then have to do some compassion work. <laughs> but you're setting in place things that, again, like are very aligned with where you want to go and very practical, which may mean getting crystals and buying singing bowls or also may mean like going to Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu. Right? So it's, it's a fun program. And a lot of times, you know, I, I have a, I've been in the personal development space since I was in my early 20s. So I've had, I guess it's almost, I guess, 10 years now that I've been since the time I read Start With Why and changed the game for me. But um, uh, there's practices and there's, there's so many things to draw from. But honestly, if I'm being really honest with myself and everybody out there, the best thing that I offer is a really, really judgment-free space for you to say whatever the fuck you need to say and say it and hear it out loud and write it and offering people the ability to ask themselves really challenging questions and get really honest answers from themselves. Because I feel like everyone has has their own answers. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe you need a reflection, maybe you need a, a little bit of a shift of perspective. And that's what I, I excel at. Um, and our journaling prompts go from free flow to very pointed questions. And I kind of force you to write a little longer than what you're comfortable with because that's where the good stuff is. And then does that feeling of not being judged let you be more vulnerable and feel safe? You know. And if I need to share something that helps you get there, like <laughs> I've probably got a story or two that'll help. Yeah, you do. Um, but I love that. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really cool program. And and the group programs are great because I essentially the first few weeks are me just setting everybody else up to do that. And then it just kind of, it's like a snowball after that. You have the dating program as well. And it's so funny. I've been dying to ask you this. I've been saving it for this, this moment in particular. How do, you, how do you become a dating coach? How do you become such an expert, <laughs> um, Connor, that you are teaching other people how to date? Okay, so I'm gonna get another behind the curtain moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't ever put out a program that's not what I was doing already. Mm-hmm. So I was working with my clients. So I do the lifestyle design program, which used to be eight weeks, and then everybody would want to do an extra four sessions every other week. So I just rolled that all into one 16 week program. And especially with the women, because guys, it was funny. I'd see these trends. Guys started coming to me, and I was helping them break up with somebody. <laughs> So I was helping guys either right after a breakup or get out of a relationship. Like, dude, I've been in this thing. I got married this woman when I was 22. Now we have like three kids and I'm freaking the fuck out. And like, this is all going down in flames. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm like, okay, dude, it's gonna be fine. Like, let's get real clear on how we want to communicate this and do it respectfully and with a lot of compassion for each other, but also very, you know, you gotta stand up for yourself you at do. the end of the day. And mm-hmm. people, have, people have lost the ability to do that. But with women... It was so funny. They would start feeling kick-ass, right? They start feeling like grounded in themselves and kind of empowered. <laughs> and they'd be like, okay, I want to, I'm ready to date again. And I'm like, okay, so let's do that. So we would talk about how to date. And, we would, and then I started the 
my girl started getting like into these kick-ass relationships and I'm like, all right, this is cool. And then, you know, I started doing, I do, I do Instagram lives every week and people ask a lot of dating questions. So I started to answer and then they started getting this feedback. So I was like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn an eight, the eight-week program, lifestyle design program, now that I've shifted it to 16 weeks, I'm going to make essentially the same pattern because it, it's always the same pattern, always, right? Yeah. It's like the same people, just who do you resonate with? And we're going to unpack, instead of your life patterns, we're going to do it through the lens of your dating patterns. So we're going to look at your past relationships, relationships with your parents, your community, and what's going on there. And again, it's, it's the same thing, getting really honest with yourself, but it's through, it's very, it's, it's specific to relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's been, that, that's been a, that's been a really rad thing and that's new. And it's, it was kind of one of those things I just put it out there as like, I already had the whole framework for it done. I'm like, let's just put this out there and see what happens. And it's been really fun. So are there themes that you're seeing with women specifically? Obviously that's a majority of my community um, Same. that you can, yeah, I know all <laughs> of your lady followers. I, I asked you yesterday, do you have any male followers? You I'm can 50, have, I'm 50, you can 50. Have, wow. You can have some of my male followers. I have too many. Okay. But is there are there patterns or themes that you're seeing with these women that you can share with our community and things that takeaways or advice that you've given them that you feel like are really beneficial? <laughs> I like this question a lot because this actually came up uh, just the other day, and it, it really like one of those things where it just snapped all together. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the culture of the of the where we're at right now and how how much everything has shifted, which is awesome. You know, I like to think that if you ever watched Mad Men, did you watch that show? No. Okay, well, there was like. That wasn't that long ago. And it was very oppressive. It was like office, office girls and like colored people. Like that was, they used that language and that was like 50 years ago. It wasn't, it was just the other day, basically. So things have shifted a lot, a lot. And I think that a lot of women learned from their moms who lived in a completely different fucking world than we do. And I started noticing that women operate a lot of times on the choices that they're given and generally don't understand or don't, not under, don't understand, but they don't have the, the automatic response to know that you can choose none of the above. Mm. And I started seeing that. I'm like, because that's natural for, for a lot of people. And I think there's definitely outliers, but as a trend, I'm like, she's like, well, I could do this or I could do this. This is what they told me I could do. And I'm like, you know, you can just say fuck that and do what you want to do, right? Or, or do something different or bring back another idea, mm-hmm. right? And I think that Generally, you see that as a trend as women like not not loving to challenge people's ideas or be confrontational. And I think that's a trend. I'm not saying again, there's outliers and I, I don't want to paint anybody into a corner. But I think that this one thing is really fun is <laughs> I'll just bring up an example from my clients, right? She had a pretty messy divorce, has two three-year-old twins, super cute. And her ex-husband, they were baptizing their twins at church. And he told her, he was like, you can come. Or you can invite your family and they can come. But it was last minute. and It was very disrespectful the way that he did it. So she was frustrated and she felt like I can only do these two things. I can go or I can, you know, then I can like wrangle my family and see if they want to go, but it's late notice and it's going to be all stressful. And I was like, okay, hang on. Do you want to go? Do you even fucking want to go? She's like, well, not really. And I was like, do you feel obligated to go? Like, give me the reasons. Give me, tell me reasons why you would go and why you wouldn't go. And I was like, just tell them you don't want to fucking go. You don't even believe in this religion anyways. Your daughters are three. They're not going to know if you're there or not. Like it was one of those things and it never, it didn't even cross her mind that she could just not go. Mm. <laughs> just not in the same, I mean, that happens. And that, that same story, I've heard that so many times, especially women that have been gone through a divorce and that their pattern is to like do what the, their husband said, even if they're not even together anymore. And I see that so often. And I think 
choose none of the above sometimes. Make your own rules a little bit, especially when it's appropriate and, and challenge your own ideas and challenge other people's ideas as well. And it's just a fun place to be. You start to learn how to stand up for yourself. You start to get a little bit more resilient because then you might hear the word no sometimes. Mm-hmm. And holy shit, isn't that the end of the world? No, it's not. It's, it's actually, actually okay. the best thing ever. <laughs> I, I talk about this a lot. I said yes for so many years, oftentimes because I had to because of my career. You just have to do everything that they tell you to every opportunity. Fuck, when I learned to say no, my whole world changed. I've never been happier. Like, this is the best word ever. But now I've said no so much that I'm able to say yes again. Exactly. And you feel like at least you have to kind of tip the scales the other direction and get some more context. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. This has been really fun. You're the best. This is fun. (laughs) You're the best. (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Connor. As you can tell, I really appreciate and respect and admire him in a lot of ways. And I'm really grateful that he is in my life and that we get to support each other on very similar journeys in a lot of ways. And it's been really fun to just hear about his his own healing journey and his growth in a variety of ways. So don't forget to find Connor at Connor Wanders on Instagram. Check out The Realness Podcast. And if you're feeling into the medicine, check out gettherealness.com so you can join him in Costa Rica at Soltara in May. I would give anything to be there. But unfortunately, I will actually be in Peru myself. So thank you so much for listening to the show today. And we'll have another inspirational conversation for you here on Ceremony Wellness. In the meantime, have an amazing day and we will see you soon.